Boxing.com. Good afternoon, and welcome to the council, everybody. I'm just making some quick adjustments here on the board so that we can have some clear sound today on the show. Wow, it's been a long time since we have been together, folks. I've missed you. Uh, it's been a, a challenging few weeks, but boy, is it great to be back here with you again. Uh, I'm your host, Charlie Pacello, and boy, do we have a fantastic guest for you today. I can't wait to introduce you to her. She's doing some amazing things. Um, we've known each other for many years, and we've just been reunited after a, a 25th year reunion that I had uh, at the Air Force Academy, which I'm sure we'll be getting into here shortly. It was, uh, it was amazing. It was just uh, such an honor to be a part of so many amazing people down there and to be reconnected with them and to see what they're all doing in this uh, incredible group of people that uh, – just am so blessed to uh, to know and to, to watch and see them grow and, and how they're uh, leading this uh, this nation, the next uh, generation of leaders that are just uh, doing incredible, incredible things. So, But anyway, we are broadcasting live here in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Uh, this is KUHS Radio TV Denver, the stream. And not only are we broadcasting here in Denver, but all across the nation and all around the world. Uh, we're being listened to by over 200, over 200 different countries that people are tuning in from wherever they're at. They take the time out of their day, evening, night to tune in and listen to the show. Uh, we are so thankful for your, uh, your tuning in and listening to us all these, uh, these many, many years. It's over four years now that we've been together. Um, and our listeners uh, are some of the best listeners. They're listening to some great programs, uh, DJs, uh, uh, other other announcers, VDJs that have got some great talk shows. And we are trying to be uh, one of the lighthouses of the world where you're coming and you can get this diversity. And our mission is to bring quality program that reflects the diversity of our staff and to have honest, grounded, authentic conversations about the many issues that we confront in our society, our nation, and our world. Like I said, we stand as a beacon of hope in a world that is filled with a lot of fear and distrust and separation and consternation. Um, we want you to come here and feel like this is a place where you can hear some great people talking about some of the great things that they're doing. And to provide a platform that celebrates our commonalities, our goodness, and our humanity. So that's what we are here at KUHS Radio TV Denver The Stream. Well, folks, we are, uh, we are talking today about education, the importance of education, and why, well, you know, if uh, we're not uh, giving our children the best, uh, not our perfect, but our best in, in regards to expanding their knowledge, developing their brains, giving them the information that they need in an ever-changing, uh, fast-paced world that is constantly moving forward, technology is advancing at a record speed, we need to have people that are able to channel that in a healthy way so that our children uh, can become the next leaders uh, of, the, of the world when it's time for us to let go of the reins so that they are prepared and ready to go uh, with all the changes that are happening. I mean, the changes that are happening in, our, in, in right now is, you know, way much faster than it was when, you know, I was in college 25 years ago or when I was in high school. Uh, 30 some years ago uh, things are having at a record pace and we've got to be able to keep up and we've got to be able to give knowledge that is valuable that is important 
and to be able to teach our children how to think for themselves. I can't express how important that is uh, because there is so much misinformation, disinformation. How do we, how do we uh, see what is, what is truthful, what is not, what is factual, what is not, in so, when there's so many things that are pulling at our attention, that are looking at our base common denominators, that are not really looking to expand and, and explore our world, but to, to, to pull us apart in different ways. And I always kind of think of it in this terms, wisdom or knowledge will never contaminate you. It will always open you up. It will always expand you. It will, it will make you think differently, even if you don't agree with it. Even if maybe it's a little bit foreign to you and you're not like, ah, I don't know if I want to touch that. That seems a little bit strange. But it doesn't, it's not, it's not corrosive. It's not contaminating. It's when it becomes contaminating and, it, and, it, and you feel like you're being poisoned and all that stuff that I think is, is a real indicator of whether the knowledge the information, the education that you're receiving is aligned with, uh, with truth or not. And, I th and it's so important. How do you learn how to do that? You have to learn how to think for yourself. And that's why education is so, so important and where education comes from. And the people that are dedicated to providing that education to our children, they got to come from that, that holistic, wholehearted place. And my guest is one of those people. She is uh, one of the wholehearted people on this planet. Uh, and she is doing amazing things in the world. And I'm just honored to have her on the show today. We have Karen McWhorter. She is the director and principal of Ascend College Prep in Colorado Springs. She started her career as a public affairs officer in the Air Force. But after five years of active duty service, she transitioned into the Air Force Reserves and began teaching high school math. She has taught everything from sixth grade through university calculus in four different states and for the Department of Defense Education Agency in South Korea. She is a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel and has worked in public education for nearly 20 years. She is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy, Old Dominion University, and the University of Central Florida. Their website is ascendcollegeprep.com. That's A-S-C-E-N-D-C-O-L-L-E-G-E-P-R-E-P.com. Welcome to the council, Karen. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, we just reunited, folks, and it's just, could you share a little bit more? Because I'll, I'll bubble over because of the, I mean, our, our time in the academy together. Could you share just a little more of your background and, and how your early influences in education helped you to become the incredible person you are today? Well, thank you. Uh, so, yes, we were at the Air Force Academy together. We won't talk about how many years ago that was. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so while I was at the academy, I knew I wanted to teach. I was a glider instructor pilot. I taught aerobics. I even my senior year got the Air Force Academy to allow me to be a student teacher in one of our calculus classrooms. So I did major in mathematics. And then my senior year, I got to help teach some of the freshmen. So even though there's not a way to go directly into teaching when you join the military, um, I knew that that was something I wanted to do. I lost my pilot qualification my senior year, which mm. was really hard for me because from about the time I was 
eight years old, I told everyone that I was going to be a pilot. Mm. But sometimes that happens in life, right? We have to adjust and find a new path. And so I ended up working in public affairs, which I wasn't sure how that how that was going to be, but it's ended up being one of the most useful things I ever could have done mm-hmm. uh, in my in my formative years of being an adult. So I did my five years active duty, uh, left active duty to become a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And I really thought I was gonna be just this fantastic teacher right out of the gate. And I wasn't, and that's okay. Most teachers, um, we, it takes a little bit of time to really figure it out, mm-hmm. but I stuck with it. Uh, I found out that high school, they're my people. I tried sixth and seventh grade and bless middle school teachers because it's it just wasn't something that it was easy for me or that <laughs> I really excelled at. So it's a little uh, different, right? Really, it is, I mean, you know, bless them. It's a hard time in yeah. life, right? But, um, but they just, they weren't my people and, and high school really is. So I worked, um, followed my husband through his various military assignments and we ended up in Mississippi for five years. Mm. And so teaching in public school in Mississippi, and then I got the opportunity to teach at the Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science, which was a phenomenal experience. We pull students from all throughout the state and it is like our school 11th and 12th grade only. When my husband retired, I knew we wanted to be in Colorado. That's mm-hmm. home. My sister's here. My parents are here. His mother's here. And so I called the Air Force Academy just to see if they had a reserve position. I was still in the reserves. Called them up and said, hey, I'm, I'm moving to the area. I wondered if you might have a, a reserve position. And long story short, found out that I could come back on active duty mm. and teach at the Air Force Academy for three years. And so... Uh, I did that from 2017 to 2020, and then COVID hit, and I needed a new plan yet again. It's really hard to not have a job in June of 2020 yeah. because we were in complete complete lockdown. Amazing. So that I mean, definitely was a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen, your your background is amazing, and I, you know, and I think it's such. Uh, what is what really I, I think is needs to be emphasized is your ability to adjust, your ability to tr- transition, to make those transitions, to not let those obstacles that came into your life, like not, not the pilot, you know, you're, you, lo- you lost your ability to, to fly or you couldn't fly. And you made that adjustment, made that shift so that you didn't allow that to be the end all end all, that you were able to be flexible enough to allow yourself to grow into the person you are today. No, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. It's something that we, we want our high school students to understand yeah. that, uh, that you don't actually know where you're going to be in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And you might not know what you want to study and that that's okay because mm-hmm. your life is going to take you in directions that, that you can't even anticipate right now at this time in your life. It's so true. Oh, my gosh. I mean, because we both went to the academy together and, uh, and we, we were in the same squad. And I, I know your husband very, very well. Uh, we, we we graduated together. We were together for four years in the same squad, Squadron 11. And um, there was a lot of memories, you know. And we went back there for the reunion. And it had been the first time that I've been back in, in, since we graduated. And walking up the ramps and going into the old squadron area and seeing the old place mm-hmm. brought back a lot of memories. Um, is there any memory that stands out from that time when uh, we were at school together all those years ago? 
Well, you know, the funny thing for me is that you were two years ahead of me, mm-hmm. right? So um, for those that don't understand me, the Air Force Academy or maybe aren't super familiar with it, uh, rank really does have its privileges. And as a junior cadet, you have, were in a totally different realm than I was <laughs> as a freshman. So uh, we were discussing before we went live that, you know, I still have a piece of paper that has his full name with middle initial, the job that he held that I had to memorize because it was part of my job as a freshman to know the full name, rank, and position of all of the upperclassmen. Um, what I remember most about uh, you and your friends was that, so our squadron had numerous hallways where the, the dorm rooms were, and there was this dark back hallway. It Most of the hallways had rooms on both sides, but the back hallway only had rooms on one side. And it was always dark back there. They liked it quiet. And as a, you know, 18-year-old, I was like, please don't make me take them their phone messages. Because remember, no cell phones, right? You had to call the desk. Yeah, that's right. call and say, I need to talk with Cadet Pacello, and we'd have to go get him in his room. And like, please don't make me go to the back hallway. It's dark back there, which is just a silly, very silly thing. Um, oh, it's but, great. Yeah, we, joke, we joke about those times a lot because... Um, I, I certainly never would have anticipated that I would be married to Andrew. Um, I don't think I ever interacted for two years in the same squadron. I'm not sure we spoke. <laughs> yeah, so, like, again, can take you in crazy directions. It's it's so good. And those were, I mean, you wouldn't even mind me at all. Of course, I'm, I'm remembering that back hallway and everybody and the things. That, I mean, we were, like, trying to, you know, that was our little space there. It was quiet. It was, we had... And it was just so many uh, wonderful memories, and I guess it could have been intimidating from your standpoint, you know, as a as a freshman there. Who are those people back there? Well, you know, you guys seem so much older. It was two years, but in the construct of the military, I was brand new, and you know, you guys were about to graduate so well you know i what i really love is uh, coming back to for the reunion it was just to seeing uh, 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 the amazing quality of people that yeah. ha- attend the school i mean you have a bond you have a, a connection with them that is lasts a lifetime it's like you pick up right where you left off mm-hmm. you can see it you i mean feel like you're 22 again you do and yeah. <laughs> you act you like know, you're you kind of act like <laughs> you know you're not but it feels like you are yeah and just it just uh, you know seeing you guys you and Andrew and it just it was like oh my gosh I I, I feel like you know the part of me that has been lying dormant inside is finally woken <laughs> up again and it just was a golden time and the and the just the authenticity and the good heartedness of the people that are there and, and that went there it's just remarkable. Um, Karen, what, you know, after we both left the, uh, the academy, we had our military experiences, and I just wanted to uh, ask you, what was your, while you t- your time in service, what was the most profound or proudest moment that you had while you were in the military? Was there something that stood out that helped to shape you as a leader? You know, I think that when we're in it, right, when you're doing the job day mm-hmm. to day, I don't know that we take time to be proud. Of, of what we're doing. And so sometimes when we think about being proud of our contributions, that's done in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. Which, um, so I really had to think about this. But so I graduated in May of 1998 and they sent me to public affairs school and I graduated from there in December of 98. And by February of 99, I was in Haiti. 
Mm. And I, prior to that, hadn't really realized that we were in Haiti yeah. in, in the late 90s. And um, just as kind of a, an anecdote, I remember calling my mother to let her know that I was deploying. And I said, hey, mom, listen, um, they're sending me to Haiti. And she went, oh, Tahiti? That sounds <laughs> wonderful. And um, it just, it just, it still makes me laugh to this day because, you know, obviously Haiti and Tahiti are very, very different. Very different. <laughs> but um, so I land on the ground, uh, or I land, uh, and they take me into the first staff meeting, and I quickly realize that I am female. Well, I knew I was female, but right, there's three strikes here, right? I'm a second lieutenant. Mm-hmm. I'm Air Force, and I'm female. Mm. And those are things that I immediate, immediately stood out to me as I sat in a room where the commander was a Marine Corps 06 and the deputy was an Army 05. Mm-hmm. Those are um, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel. And I was surrounded by all different services. And it was, it was a very eye-opening experience for me. But I think what was most profound as far as developing me as a person and as a leader was realizing how big the world is mm-hmm. and how different the experience is based on where you're born. And mm-hmm. that in all reality, for all the problems that we have in our country, we've all won some cosmic lottery by mm-hmm. being born in the United States. And when when you're on the ground in Haiti and you see that, so we had a, a Navy hospital, we had a Marine Corps security company, we had, uh, just an army civil engineering squadron Mm -hmm. and we were building schools and digging wells and they were providing medical care and i would i would be the one putting out the press release or getting out into the community to say hey in about a week we're going to bring medical providers here we're going to have doctors and dentists and people would start lining up Mm -hmm. and they would stay in line for a week they would sleep in line they would stay there because they needed to see a doctor and when we we opened a school when i was there the army had been building the school in coordination with the locals there we opened the school and the joy on these young people's faces knowing that they were going to get to go to school is something that i hadn't seen in our country Mm -hmm. um they just they were so excited to have this opportunity and it made me realize that there are opportunities in our country that we don't see as opportunities anymore mm-hmm. and that that clouds how we all see the world. And so I'm glad that I had that experience when I was very young mm-hmm. because I think it made me a more open mm-hmm. leader and someone who was always trying to understand where someone came from and mm-hmm. how it shaped them in their experience. That's such a beautiful story, Karen. Uh, And I think that's uh, one of the things that really stands out uh, of people who are serving in the military and elsewhere. They get to see how other people live. Uh, They get to see how blessed we are and that we uh, take for granted very the things that you're that you're describing and and, uh, that you don't realize how precious they are until you go someplace else. You know, I, I went to I worked for a human rights agency after my time in the service. And I went to Thailand uh, in the Burma area, or excuse me, in the Chiang Mai area, and got to see uh, poverty like I'd never seen before. Children were helping to build an orphanage there. And I was like, it was eye-opening. I was like, oh, my gosh, we, we, don't, uh, we don't realize how lucky we are that we did. We got the lottery. And, uh, and, you know, when you see the joy that comes in people's eyes when you just 
help them out, um, I think is really an, it's a it's a lesson in life that we uh, we need to learn. And I wish we could impart it. I wish we could share it with more people and how to do that. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what were some of the lessons you learned, Karen, uh, by being an officer in the Air Force that helps you now? Um, as your role in your position as the director and principal of Ascend College Prep? Well, um, let's see. There were some challenges. Uh, So I left active duty on a Friday, and I started teaching high school on a Monday. Mm. I was 27 years old. I was captain in the United States Air Force, and my only interaction with 17- and 18-year-old adults was as airmen. And if I, as the captain, said, uh, Airman Smith, I need you to do this, it got done. So I profoundly, I I remember uh, the first time it came time for my students to turn in their homework. And there were students that just hadn't done it. (laughs) And I went to collect it, and they're like, I didn't do it. Like, well, what do you mean you didn't do it, right? I told you to do the homework. Why didn't you do it? And um, so there were some growing pains. Mm. I think that uh, a lot of people in the military think, oh, I'd love to teach when I get out. But there, it's hard mm. to teach. And there were great things that I learned about setting expectations. I think that's my number one takeaway mm. is that young people do want to meet your expectations almost across the board. They want to be successful and they want to do what you want them to do. But if we aren't setting clear and actionable expectations, then they just, they can't. Mm. And so learning to be very explicit in what I needed them to do in how, how they should accomplish a task was really important as far as teaching and as, as, as a leader of your own faculty and with your students, those expectations uh, are just are really important. So that would be the number one thing that I learned. I think also just learning to listen to people's stories. And mm-hmm. I don't know that, that everyone in the Air Force uh, puts a high value on that, but it's something that I really do place a high value on because we respond to stories way more than facts and data. And as a mathematician, that hurts me a little, right? Because data speaks volumes. But when you take the time to listen to someone's story and to understand that we all have a story that's shaped us, it changes how you interact with people. And so when you have a young person who is all of a sudden acting out in class, there's a reason why. And if instead of getting instantly angry and sending them out of the classroom, if you can contain the situation and then after class, try to find out their story, what's what's happening, it's incredible how often you can, you can manage problems in the classroom by just listening. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did get that, get that experience in the military. It's fantastic. You know, and, and that's so true and so poignant, uh, listening to other people's stories, listening and recognizing that uh, we're all struggling with something. Uh, yeah. Some of us to, uh, you know, a more strenuous or a greater degree than others, but we're all struggling on something and you just don't know. And if you make... Um, you make those judgments, you make those uh, expectations, you set them too high, or, or I think expectations are like premeditated resentments, you know, <laughs> they're just, so it's like, so if we can just, re- you know, just kind of relax it a little bit and help and encourage it, 
Um, it, it, it helps people to feel heard and seen, and, yes. if, and then it allows them the opportunity to grow, to grow yeah. and to become and to try, because uh, they feel like uh, I'm not just uh, you know, taking a test to get through this. My teacher cares right. about me, right? Really important. There's a, there's a saying in teaching that says, no one ever cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm. And I remember when I was going through my master's degree in education, I thought, what a silly saying, right? Mm. That it, it, it seemed very trite to me. But now having been in education, it could not be more true. It, mm -hmm. could, it is the most important thing to remember as an educator that mm -hmm. they can't listen to you teach them about math if they don't honestly believe that you care about their success and about their progress. Mm -hmm. I mean, there has to be some connection there in order for them to find meaning in what they're doing. Well, you've got to be an amazing teacher, Karen. I'm sure of it because <laughs> you feel that. I can feel that. I know you care so much with your I students. I still teach math, though. Do so you? I'm not sure everybody <laughs> agrees. Um, I had a, a student tell me recently that they still hated math. Mm -hmm. but they loved how much I loved it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that as a win, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. still something positive. Absolutely. We're not, we're not all of us are meant for, you know, mathematics. Some of us are meant, you know, for history, philosophy, psychology, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. uh, but we all have a passion. And as a teacher, you taught mathematics for many years. But did you notice while you were teaching them what, what they were struggling with? Um, and what did you conclude based upon all those years of teaching with your students? So I think that the number one thing in mathematics that students struggle with is making the connections between concepts and then also finding value in learning the mathematics. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a joke amongst math teachers that if we hear, when am I ever going to use this one more time, <laughs> um, it just, it gets, it gets very challenging because when you love mathematics, you see math in the world all around us. And I find it just exhilarating that you can go to any country in the world and the numbers don't change. Mm -hmm. the, the words change and speaking changes. But if I go and I write down X plus four equals two in any country in the world, we are now speaking the same language. Mm -hmm. And see, I get, I totally geek out over that. I'm so excited. I love, I love that. But what's missing is that we don't all understand where we fit. Mm -hmm. So I, I've told you that I taught sixth grade mm -hmm. and I thought I was a really good sixth grade teacher because my students were doing well on their tests. They were getting good standardized test score. My administration was happy with me. And so I thought I was a really good teacher of sixth graders. And then I started teaching eighth grade and I realized that those little tricks that I had taught my sixth graders were actually hurting them when they got to eighth grade because I had failed to actually teach them why the math works. Mm. I had shown them a trick to get the right answer, but they were missing that key piece of the why. Mm. Why does this work? And then I, I took that and I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a really good eighth grade teacher. And I thought I was a good eighth grade teacher. And then I moved up to high school and, and that pattern continued. So for me, teaching at the Air Force Academy was the last piece in the puzzle. It was seeing, that entire continuum of a student's development in mathematics mm -hmm. and realizing that they, students by and large want 
to understand why something works. Mm -hmm. And in our educational system, we have gotten very good at saying, just do it my way. Follow these five steps. If you do this and then this and then this, you'll get the right answer. And and I don't like that Mm -hmm. anymore. I think that we need to teach them the underlying concepts Mm -hmm. and then encourage them to see it the way they see it. I have had students do incredible things with math that they just don't see the world the way I do with mathematics, but they're getting the right answer. And I don't want, I don't want to stop that. Mm -hmm. I want them to have the freedom to explore math without me saying it has to be done this way. And I think your point on being the why, learning what the why is all about is so critical. And actually in in just about every subject, just about every discipline, you know, why? Why am I doing this? Why am I studying philosophy? Why am I learning and wanting to, you know, why does this idea of, you know, uh, speaking truth is why is that such an important thing? Why, why, you know, or, um, you know, moderation is an impenetrable forces fortress. What does that mean? Why is that? Why is that important? I don't know what that means. Uh, you know, it's like, what? Okay, moderation. Don't live on the extremes. Live in moderation. Oh, I see what that means. Now I understand why, because it's beneficial. And this is, this is a, an excellent way for me to move through life. But if you understand why something is, you, you're able to start putting, you know, neurons start firing together that weren't firing together. Parts of your brain start firing together that weren't firing together. Absolutely. And all of a sudden you're making connections to not just the discipline of mathematics. You're making it to all kinds of things, especially when you just sent just right now that mathematics is a language and that it is, is a universal right. language. Wow. How fascinating yeah. is it's that? So cool. Yeah. <laughs> Now, when you were going through your, your, your developments and you're your seeing all these things happen, why did you choose 11th and 12th grade? Is this a critical period in um, adolescents' life to guide them to the right direction uh, of their passions, their interests, mm-hmm. and to identify that which moves them, this, this why? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I mentioned Mississippi, and I, I taught at a school there, Mississippi School for Mathematics and Science which is a state-funded public school, but it is a residential high school. So all of the students come and live there. And it's only a school for 11th and 12th graders. Mm-hmm. And so my that was my first introduction into this idea that maybe we could further um, delineate different ages to see what they need from us. And it was so eye-opening for me because I had always, up to that point, taught in a four-year high school. Mm-hmm. And what you realize teaching in a four-year high school, and I hope we have some teachers listening because I think they will really just believe this exactly. The freshmen come in and they are just like, woo! Like they're in high school and they are so excited, but most of them are not thinking about college. They are just so excited that they're in high school. They're worried that they're not gonna make it to their next class. They're worried they're gonna get lost. They're totally absorbed in high school. Sophomores, they're better, but they're just so happy they're not freshmen. They're still (laughs) not really looking towards the future. But something seems to happen to young people the summer between their sophomore and junior year, where the reality of, I'm halfway through high school, I don't know what I want to do with my life, people are going to expect me to know what I want, Mm -hmm. I have to start applying to colleges, and they start to feel this pressure. 
this pressure to know exactly what they want to do with their lives. Mm -hmm. And they're 16. (laughs) And so I really wanted to focus on that age group and to, one, to make sure they had all of the academic knowledge that they need to be successful in whatever path they choose. And two, that they had the help they needed to apply. And three, that they understood that no decision they make right now about what college to attend, what to major in, none of it is fatal. Mm -hmm. And none of it is insurmountable, right? There are people who change their majors three or four times. You and I went to the Air Force Academy and I mean, you became an actor. That's (laughs) not a normal path for an Air Force Academy graduate. No, it's not. That's okay. We all, you know, you're gonna, you don't have to have it all figured out. I tell them I'm 45. I I don't have it all figured out. I still don't have it all figured out. Right? At 17, we expect an awful lot out of young people. And so uh, it was very intentional that we work with 11th and 12th graders because uh, they're really focused on the future. I think that's so great. And to give them that sense of uh, perspective, reality, uh, <laughs> recognition that says, you know, wait, you don't have to have it all figured out right now. Explore your identity. Broaden your horizons. Learn as much as you can. Ex- get, stay in integrity with yourself, but at the same time, look out and see what's out there and investigate. Add to your life. Add to the dimensions of your life. Uh, and so it, you don't have to have everything solved right now. I certainly didn't. <laughs> like you said, I, I went into acting after uh, and, and studied at Oxford, England. I, you know, I had an incredible experience uh, studying Shakespeare at Oxford, England. I would never have had that had I not decided, you know what, I want to go and do what I'd love to do when I was a kid again. I want to, you know, and so it added depth. It added dimension. It, it wasn't uh, what the, the normal Air Force Academy graduate did. Uh, but it sure gave me uh, experiences that I cherish. And uh, I think that's something that you're doing there at the school is to give them that sense of allowing your life to unfold the way it's meant to unfold for you. Right. But keeping doors open. Yeah. You know, we want, we want everyone to have the opportunities to follow whatever path they might choose. And we have a lot of students who came in and said, oh, I don't like computers. I would never, they were not at all interested in computer science, but a good teacher, an interesting curriculum. And now four of our students are like, hey, I think I'm gonna major in comp sci. And their parents are in shock. They're like, what did you do? I'm like, I don't know, I just hired a great teacher. And he, the thing is, it's not about the content. Mm -hmm. He is inspiring them with hope for their future. He's saying, here's what you can do with this knowledge and showing them all the different paths that are open to them Mm -hmm. if they take the time to learn this content. And I think that's such an important part of teaching is that that we have to inspire students. Absolutely. Like what they're doing is meaningful. Absolutely. Karen, let's move right into what the mission is here of Ascend. Uh, college prep. I mean, like share what the mission and purpose is. All right. So our mission is to create lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. It is to expose them to a rigorous curriculum as well as community engagement and individualized electives. Okay. That's not our entire mission statement, but there you go. Those are the, those are the high points. Uh, (laughs) It, um, we are trying to do things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, 
education in our country is incredibly diverse, right? When you when you go from state to state, there are different programs. Some states have magnet schools, some have charter schools, some have school choice, some don't. Um, and so we have a lot of avenues open, particularly in Colorado with the emphasis on school choice, but a lot of our high schools are very, very big and they meet the needs of so many students. So I don't want anyone to hear that I don't believe in the high schools that we currently have, because I do. And they do meet the needs of the majority of students, but they don't meet everyone's needs. There are young people who feel completely lost in a big high school. They wanna learn, but they're sitting in a classroom with 30 students and they just fade into the background because they're shy or they don't want to speak up or they think they're the only one in the classroom that's not getting it and so the one of the big things that we do is we do have a very small student body we keep our classes small because we're trying to offer just another option to students um, i didn't create the school because i think everything we're doing in education is wrong i created it because i think we need more options mm. education cannot and should not be a one-size-fits-all proposition. I agree, you know, because uh, being able to notice and to pay attention to what the student needs is such a, we, you know, when we're doing anything, it's for the students, not for us. It's to, we gain all of that wisdom, that knowledge, that ex expertise, that experience in order to impart that to someone else, to give that, to inspire them, to lift them up, to motivate them to achieve their fullest potential, whatever that might be in whatever direction that might be. Mm -hmm. And I love what one of your uh, faculty writes on the website that you have. Uh, she writes that you approach, quote, education holistically, acknowledging and tending to the student as a whole human being, end quote. I love that. Could you explain that approach in just a little more detail? I love it. Well, so I think that we all get very entrenched in our own content area, right? I, I, I said it earlier, I am a math teacher, mm -hmm. but every teacher in high school is more than that because we see these students more hours a day of their waking hours than a lot of their parents do. And that comes with great responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I think that a big part of what we have to do is educate them about the rest of life as well not to not to take the role of parents at all but to make sure that they understand that it's not just about the academics we want to speak to them about their emotional wellness we want to speak to them about their physical wellness uh, we just got back today uh, we took our students to a ninja warrior gym because we wanted to talk to them about the importance of being fit but without the standard way of here, we're going to read these statistics, we're going to watch this movie in class, we're going to tell you that you should eat healthy and you should run and you should lift weights. Yeah. Well, those are all true things. But when we take when we took them to this gym and we gave them an experience, they were laughing, they were cheering each other on, they worked out for over two hours. That's great. But I don't think they knew it. And so we really, we want to obviously educate their minds, but we also want to make sure that when they leave to go to college, they are fully prepared physically, emotionally, mentally, and academically. Fantastic. So what was it again? The ninja? Was it yes, 
It was wonderful. So, um, Ninja Warrior, is that what it was? Ninja Warrior. Ninja Warrior. So, oh, I one love of it. our faculty, one of our faculty members, his yeah. daughter, his nine-year-old daughter, um, has been competing in Junior Ninja Warrior competition. Wow. Since she's nine years old, she has her own name. Um, so I hope they're listening. Uh, it's Lightning Liz, and she is actually going to be on national television next week. And so he was talking to our physics students about this experience that they do, and um, it intrigued the students. It inspired them. And so she was there today, and she beat everybody. (laughs) It was was wonderful. And it was, um, I just think that these experiences outside the classroom can be just as valuable. And um, I don't want anyone to get the idea that we that we aren't focused on academics. I mean, we work these kids really hard. Um, Almost all of our classes are offered as dual enrollment. So students that spend two years with us can Mm -hmm. earn 40 college credits. So we are pushing them Mm -hmm. academically, but when you push someone academically, you've got to balance it out with these other experiences. And so um, we're working really hard to do that. I agree, I think that's fantastic. I mean, we are, we're not just, uh, it's not just about working the mind, it's working the whole, the whole person. Yes. I love that. You know, mm-hmm. three, three uh, where you have the physical plane, the emotional plane, the mental plane, and the spiritual plane. All right, three of these are unseen, all right? And they're going to impact right. everything that's going on on the outside. So if you're not working that, you're, stimulation intellectually, emotionally, learning to regulate and being able to express yourself if you have that avenue available to you. Uh, physical exercise, uh, the academics, the, you know, all of those things play a part mm-hmm. in helping us to be a whole, healthy, thriving, vibrant human being. And I love that you're doing that. But could we go just a little bit to talk about how your classes are structured so that people can get mm-hmm. an idea that it's uh, a, a, what, what the curriculum of a student would be uh, should they have the opportunity to come to your school? Right. Well, so... Um Everyone has the opportunity. Uh, as a public school in the state of Colorado, we have no no entrance test, no other requirements. We are open to everyone in any district. Obviously, it'd be kind of a hike for some folks in Denver with us being in Colorado Springs. But um, all right, so our curriculum. There are a few things that make us a little bit different than a more traditional high school, we'll say it that way. So we offer math, science, English, and history. Those are our four core courses. Um, And so we offer everything from Algebra 2 through um, college uh, algebra, calculus, statistics. We offer multiple science courses. We have an environmental science course, uh, physics, astronomy, health sciences. So these are are meaty science courses and math courses. Um, We have an incredible history teacher who, um, well, hopefully I'll get to talk about her classes in a minute, but she is teaching... Uh, two history classes this year. One is called How Did We Get Here? And it's a um, study in American history. And then next semester, she's doing a course called Truth in History. Mm. And they're going to be investigating logical fallacies. What are logical fallacies? How are they used? And then throughout all of history, they're going to look through the great controversies where logical fallacies tend to show up. And Mm. I just love that because the goal is to create critical consumers of information. Amen to that. Yes. Right? Yes. If you are, where you grow up and where you live in the world changes your truth about history, right? If we take something Pearl Harbor, Mm -hmm. fact, Pearl Harbor happened. Everything.
everything else that that surrounds that fact is a different truth based on if you're Japanese, if you're American, if you're Japanese American, right? The truth of that historical event does vary. And I think that our young people need to understand that. Mm. And so I'm, I'm very excited about our history courses. We also offer computer science. We have one of the most robust computer science programs in the state because we offer, we offer um, computer programming in Python. We also offer cybersecurity and we are hoping to put something together next year to start looking into artificial intelligence because this is the way our um, technology is, is going. So we have a very robust STEM curriculum. And then, but, but if, uh, if parents are listening, they're probably realizing we don't have a lot of electives, mm-hmm. right? We don't, we don't have PE, we don't have health, we don't have choir and drama, we don't have any sports teams. So um, a lot of the questions I get are, how can a student have a true high school experience if they don't have those options available? So one, um, because we are only um, a school that only services two grades, we are not eligible for CHASA, which is the Colorado High School Sports and Activities Association. So our students who want to continue participating in high school sports, um, speech and debate, anything governed by CHASA are able to continue doing that in their district of residence because we simply don't offer those opportunities and Colorado state law protects our students and allows them to do that. So they can still have those experiences. And then with our electives, we have an, an independent elective program where we want our students to pick what they want to study. Mm. So we give them a packet of information that asks them to name their course, define the objectives of their course, design four assignments for their course. They keep a time log and they submit their assignments. But we have students doing everything from fixing up an old car as like an auto hobby shop to we have a student training for a marathon. That is her independent study. We have two students that are doing ground school for their private pilot's license. That's Mm. a great independent study. And we are encouraging them to learn what they are interested in Mm. instead of telling them, hey, we we offer art and PE and choir and you have to pick one of those. And I'm not minimizing the importance of those three in particular, just that I think students should be given the freedom to study what interests them and what inspires them. So that's a little, that's kind of our curriculum in a nutshell. Oh my gosh, are you? I was like uh, salivating when you were talking about the history class that you're going to have next. Oh year. I was like, gosh, I love it. So cool. I'm going to just like sneak in and just like listen because yeah. I think it's. Ah, oh. I mean, I, that's uh, that's what I was. I graduated with was American history at the academy. Oh, you realized yeah. that? Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> mathematics wasn't my strong point. Obviously, right. I mean, I went into theater and uh, the arts and stuff. So. But I think that's such a well-rounded uh, approach and about and giving people the, the the sense of that I have some self-agency to be able to guide the direction I want my education to go, but in a way that allows it to be governed by you know n- true knowledge and science and faith and all those things that helps a student to develop those parts of themselves that that are that are latent that are you know kind of uh, hidden within and that just need to be just need to be excited, you know? That's what I think a great teacher does is pull that out of them. Mm-hmm. By the way, how do you pick your teachers? You know, how are you wow. able to attract the teachers that you have with, uh, with the we necessary education amazing level? amazing teachers. Yes, They're you do. amazing <laughs> teachers. Um, so uh, 
That's probably the thing I, maybe the thing I'm most proud of is the assembled of educators who share my passion for education and for the students. Um, I think that one of the things we did that was very different is that I don't have any full-time teachers. Mm. I have, um, I hire teachers to come in and teach their class, but I don't have them work uh, lunch duty. I don't have them chaperone dances unless, of course, they want to. Um, but we don't put a lot of additional duties at them. And given our kind of unique schedule of our four-day academic week, most of my teachers do, in fact, have another job. So if they, let's say, um, so my environmental science teacher, he has his PhD in meteorology, and he still uses that experience working for an entity up in Boulder. And so he's able to do that, but still come to the school two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and teach our environmental science course because he loves working with the young people. And I think we all get to a point in our lives where we really want, we wanna know that we're impacting the next generation, that we're giving back. And so our instructors are able to still do that without the confines of a full-time teaching job. And so I think that we've been able to attract some folks who wouldn't, wouldn't be able to teach in a traditional high school, but are able to teach for us. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and they're, they're great. Um, let's see, we talked about my history teacher. She has her PhD from Oxford University and she, she is so good at getting these kids to disagree respectfully. Mm -hmm. It is astounding when you walk into her classroom because we have a lot of varying opinions, but they can have these conversations in a respectful oh, manner. Wow. And it's so exciting. Um, so important have, to learn that. Really, in today's yes. society is so important to learn that, to so be important. able to have respectful disagreement and talk mm -hmm. about things because that's how you synthesize. You have to have to be able to analyze these things in order to synthesize the information so that you can come to something better. Yes. But if you can't respectfully disagree with one another and, and see each other's point of view, and it's just about my way, I'm right, you're wrong, that's it, mm -hmm. you, there's, no, there's no growth. There's no way, and we just stay stuck in a loop. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and one of the things I always like to say, because sometimes parents get a little nervous, right, when we say we want to teach them to respectfully disagree and we want to have this civil discourse in our classes, is that if we are doing our jobs right, then by the end of the year, our students won't actually know the way we personally feel about any of these topics. Our goal is not to convince them that we are right. It is simply to expose them to this massive gray area mm -hmm. between the two extremes and to understand that you can live very comfortably there and that they can take in this information and that they can decide what they think mm -hmm. without us trying to, to shape that. And that's something that's very much in the news right now with education mm -hmm. and with a lot of the discussions that we're having. But I think we have to be very careful as we try to legislate what can and cannot be taught in classrooms, that we aren't removing the ability for the teacher to teach mm -hmm. critical 
thinking, right? And how to be a good consumer of information. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, so that's just something that we really want to accomplish. It's only by my head and the great great teachers that I had allowed me to look at different perspectives and taught me by being able to look at it, discernment, how I could discern where the truth lied and where it didn't and understanding how to exercise my mind in a way that because life is going to throw you on out there and you're going to be bombarded by all kinds of different things that if you don't have those early critical thinking skills, uh, it, it, you could be very susceptible to manipulation, to things that are mm-hmm. people uh, have different agendas. And that's why I think it's so critical, like what you're doing there, to give your, your, uh, your students the, the ability to think for themselves. I think it's so, so important. Well, and how wonderful for us to to have these conversations now so that our students can go home mm-hmm. and then have these conversations with their parents because the parents do have the most important role in their emotional development but it what a gift to be able to have these conversations before they go off to college and they're bombarded with information so i think by encouraging them to do this now while they're still in the safety of their own home where they can talk with their own families and and really figure out what they feel before they go out into the real world you know on their own i think that that's a blessing it is totally a blessing now there are hurdles i'm sure you've experienced a few of them right <laughs> i mean we're talking about so i this you know i i'd, I'd you know what uh, what have you found to be the biggest hurdles uh, Karen in starting a new school? Well, um, I will tell you, I now know why people don't start new schools because it is, there is just an astounding amount of paperwork. Um, (laughs) and, and I suppose there needs to be right. We need to make sure that we have the right people teaching. So we have to make sure everybody has the right license and we need to make sure that schools are following the rules, but Man, I I thought the Air Force had some bureaucracy and some red tape, and they've got nothing on public education. So I really? guess I should go back to one of your uh, your previous questions and say that one of the things that is helping me more than anything is my ability to research and read regulations and figure out what the law actually says, so that I can make sure I'm operating within the law. Mm. But to try to get to get through that. Um, I just think that there's there's just a, a there's just a lot of steps, right? You know, um, there was once we finally got the school put together, it was oh well now we have to get the college board to recognize us as a school so that we can offer the PSAT, SAT, and ACT. Mm-hmm. Then I have four students that are um, being recruited for D1 athletics, so now we have to get the NCAA to recognize us as a school, and that's another 50-page application. And so it seems like every time I turn around, there's another thing that needs to be done. So I'm learning a lot. I'm working harder than I have ever worked in my entire life. But um, but I'm also happier than I think I've ever been because because I do find true meaning and yeah. value in, in what we're doing. And uh, I we just we have a new security guard. Uh, we're in a secure office and he was walking through, they were showing him the school and he stopped by my office and he said I thought you said this was a high school. He said, oh, it is a high school. He goes, well, why are they all so happy? <laughs> and it was the best compliment he could have given me because yeah. they are they are happy. We do have a lot of energy. It's loud. Mm-hmm. But, but there's a really cool vibe. 
in the school. We do only have 40 students, and that helps. Well, it starts at the top for sure, Karen. <laughs> I mean, it always starts at the top. I mean, your your passion, your energy, your love for this is just uh, – if people uh, I'm sure can feel it just by watching it, all the people who are tuning in and listening um, know or feeling your passion for what you do. Uh, and aside from the academics, uh, what makes Ascend so special? Mm. So I think that the thing that makes us so special is – our, um, our Friday series. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things that we do, we have our four-day academic week. Our students take classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Monday and Wednesday. We don't alternate. You have Tuesday, Thursday classes. You have Monday, Wednesday classes. And then Fridays are reserved for those life experiences. Um, so far this year, we have had a teen trauma counselor come in and talk to the students about, about the fact that the last year has been really hard, right, to validate that for them. And mm -hmm to talk about anxiety, to talk about depression. I think oftentimes we wait until something tragic happens before we talk to yeah. young people about their emotional health. And so we started off right off the bat, let's talk about emotional health. And so that was part of our Friday series. We have done self-defense. Today we did the Ninja Warrior Gym. We have bankers coming in to talk about how to not get ripped off at the car dealer. We've got budgeting, <laughs> we've got um, meal planning, it's its almost like adulting 101. Yeah. We're trying to give them all of those pieces that I know their parents are trying to tell them. I do. I know it. But I also have two teenagers, and I know that they don't always want to listen to me. Yes, but that's if true. I bring in, if I bring in a financial planner who says, and the name of his presentation is how to be a millionaire by the time you're 35, guess who has their undivided attention? He does. Right? And right. so... We are trying to do that. And then once a month, we also do a school-wide community service project oh, as great. a way to reinforce to our students that being part of your community is essential mm -hmm. and giving back to your community is essential. And so that, I think, is what makes us truly special is, again, back to that holistic education from community service to how to be an adult uh, to your academics. Karen, what do you love most about what you do? I mean, I, I think you love just about everything. <laughs> do I, really I think do. you do? Um, I think, oh God, that's such a hard question. What I love is is watching the these young people grow up and mm -hmm. and seeing seeing them get excited about something they didn't think they could be excited about. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes we have students that really need a win, right? Mm -hmm. They um, maybe they've struggled in, a, in previous classes or, or they don't feel like they're smart. And I think that when you can take a young person and show them their mm. potential, even <laughs> if they can't see it themselves, it is, it is an incredibly powerful, powerful thing. And I, I know that some people think high school kids are, are difficult. And of course, right, they are. We're all difficult at different ages. But there is something incredibly charming about about someone on the cusp of becoming an adult. I think it's um, great. And, yeah, I, I love it. So great, Carrie. Where, you know, uh, where is Ascend College Prep located for people? And called? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No. I was going to say, where, does, uh, where is Ascend College Prep located? And how can interested parents get in touch with you? Uh, mm -hmm. When does enrollment begin? All that kind of stuff. All for that. Them. Okay. Yeah. 
I know we're getting close to the end here. Yep. Uh, we are located in Colorado Springs, Colorado at uh, Briargate and I-25. We are not affiliated with any one district, so we are open to anyone who is interested. Enrollment will begin again in January. We are, we are full for this year, um, but we will start uh, enrollment in January. They can do everything from our website and um, our contact information is there. I will always talk to anyone who wants to talk about the school. We are always looking for companies and corporations who might want to partner with us for guest speakers, for experiences, uh, anything like that. You know, public education is pretty notorious for not being well funded and we are certainly no um, there's, uh, yeah, we, we are struggling with that as well. So, um, yeah, the website is the best way to do that. We have an active Facebook page. Anybody who wants to go see my students, uh, running their Ninja Warrior course. I, I want to see that. Yeah. Live videos. Uh, Sounds on great. The, on the Facebook page. Yeah. Karen, fantastic. Folks, thank you. We, uh, I just want to thank everybody who's tuning in to us here on the council here. We are just about done. And, I, and Henry, thank you for everything you're doing back there to make this such a seamless process. If it wasn't for you and all the people in the back uh, here at KUHS Radio TV Denver, the council and other shows wouldn't be possible. So thank you for, for everything that you do for us here at the, at the show. Um, and we are KUHS Radio TV Denver, broadcasting live here in Denver, Colorado, and all across the nation, all around the world, being listened to by so many of you from so many different countries. Thank you for tuning in to us. Uh, it is because of you we have this show, and uh, we thank you for trusting us to bring you the best shows that we possibly can, bringing some amazing, incredible people like Karen. Karen, I'm just, it's been a delight, and, and I, uh, it goes by so fast. Um, it does, does man. It? <laughs> Karen, it goes, it goes, it just, and uh, if you could, I always ask every my guest this question before we close out. Um, if you could give one piece of advice, one bit of wisdom from your life experience, what would it be? Failure is part of learning. Failure is an essential part of learning. So don't be discouraged when you fail. Um, I have a saying in my classroom that says, uh, math stands for mistakes allow thinking to happen. If you already knew what you were doing, you don't need me, right? So we learn through failure. And so we should not be discouraged by failure. We should just push through it because good things are always going to come on the other side of it. Oh, that's fantastic. That was like that was fantastic. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Because point it, I learned a lot from failure, and that is so absolutely <laughs> true. <laughs> oh, Karen, this has been a delight. Thank you for being on this council, yeah, folks. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's, it was an honor. Um, and people go to um, ascendcollegeprep.com. That's ascendcollegeprep.com. Thank you, folks, for tuning in. The council is adjourned. May you all be well. May you all be free of pain and suffering. May you all be whole. God bless everyone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.